Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. What a brutal and chilling line, really, when you think about it. Written in 1955 by Johnny Cash. I mean, it's a really, really dark, nihilistic fuck you of a line in a song Folsom Prison Blues 1955 Johnny Cash said he wrote it inspired by his term serving in West Germany in the United States Air Force at Landsberg near Bavaria his life had been pretty drifting pretty dark until that point grew up in abject poverty from the age of four or five out in the cotton fields Um, saw his own brother uh, more or less sliced to death by a, a buzzsaw blade um, dark, dark stuff in the life of Johnny Cash. I'm going to tell you some stories later on in the podcast. In a well, you know, near the end, uh, a couple of the crazy, crazy stories. But the kind of premise of this particular episode is: where did all the rebels go? Where did all the stories go? All the the rock and roll stories, all those kind of people, genuine, actual outsiders, and few people embody that more than Johnny Cash. And can you imagine? Set to the backdrop of the 1950s, which is all went to the cinema on a Saturday night, kind of saccharine sweet Neil Sedaka. Yes, there's a Neil Sedaka reference. Don't say I don't give you everything you ask for. Um, All the saccharine sweet nonsense and you get this um, character like Johnny Cash looming up from the darkness. I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. Pure nihilism in 1955. And we're going to talk a little bit about amphetamine and speed. And there ain't no bigger consumer of, uh, well, there will be very few in the 1950s and the 1960s than old Johnny Cash. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. This is Agitators Anonymous. I'm Alan Averill. This is episode, I don't know, somewhere near around about 150. Um, I don't know. The train keeps a rolling, rolling around the bend. Um, And... If you like the podcast, give it a review. Helps the algorithm. Or send it to somebody you like. Send it to somebody you don't like. Send it to somebody who doesn't understand what I'm talking about, but just likes Irish accents. I think they sound dreamy. Well, there you go. Um, 
The show is sponsored by MetalBlade.com. You can check the link underneath in the description, but it's IndieMerch.com slash MetalBlade um, shop. Well, maybe not shop. Anyway, um, and the promo code AA2023 will get you 20, 10% off your order. All sorts of cool things over there. Uh, go and take a look. But if you, you know, if I've messed that up, the link is in the underneath bit. And more sponsors coming soon. All that kind of stuff anyway. If you want to support the show over on Patreon, you can. It's patreon.com, and that's Patreon, not patron. Um, and it's Alan Averill. Yeah, anyway, all right. What am I talking about? Johnny Cash, Johnny Cash. I am an antichrist. I am an anarchist. Never quite really understood that rhyming scheme, to be honest, did you? has a few problems. It doesn't quite scan, if you ask me. Chinese spy balloons, eh? <laughs> Only, are they really aliens? Possibly, like possibly. Wasn't alien invasion the most tinfoil hat theory? And now it feels like, I don't know, elements of the mainstream media are sort of running with that. Yeah, it hasn't been ruled out. Um, I don't know, what am I talking about? By army spokespeople, eh, what? Are they considering starting a proxy war? with Alpha Centauri, or just, I think it's just more distractions for you as you're wondering about how come a loaf of bread has gone up 15% since a week ago. I don't know. There's a bar in Temple Bar in Dublin. You've probably drunkenly stumbled around, which is now charging 10 euros for a pint. Yes, indeed, it's the end of days. Um, but to be honest, and it's why I started off with my little quote, I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. But to be honest, and some people have commented on this a bit lately, that the political commentary, the weighty tomes of geopolitics have been missing from Agitators Anonymous of late. And you know what? There's 150 episodes and there's probably a third of them are about that kind of thing. But I can be the first to admit, and you probably feel, probably feel sometimes a bit similar, is that the bandwidth, the bandwidth, my mental bandwidth just gets clogged. You can't, you can't really clog a bandwidth, can you? Um, good name for a punk band, clogging the bandwidth. But um, it's certainly filled with white noise, um, white political noise. And sometimes you just have to shut it off or you're not going to be able to sleep. And it's more like, um, I just can't run or deal with many more stories about 15-minute cities, personal carbon footprint quotas, digital IDs, all those kind of things. You know, which we maybe we can look forward to trading those uh, footprint quotas like football cards back in the day. Brought to you by Panini and the World Economic Forum. Um, whatever else. Um, the social currency, this and that. My brain went fizz a while ago. Um, a little like, you know, uh, when the Millennium Falcon tries to head into hyperspace and nothing happens. That may be my first Star Wars reference. Um, I may also add that I have actually seen the first Star Wars movie I think it must be, or is that the fourth one? I'm not too sure. About a hundred times by now. Watched it every weekend as a kid for about an entire year. Maybe that's two years. I don't know. If you want a dialogue war, a Star Wars nerd dialogue war, dial me up. Let's go at it. Might come in useful somehow during the impending alien invasion. Anyway, what am I talking about? In my time off, or at least from consuming less news than I would have been doing normally, um, I did something I never really did before. I was never really one for reading music autobiographies. Uh, they never really appealed to me. My mate Rob from Vomiter used to always hand them to me and trade them to me. And of course, I read the very boring Iron Maiden one, the short but sweet Lemmy one, and a few others. I read Duff McKagan's book, which was pretty good. 
if he would just stop saying the word punk rock every six times of every page. You know, we get it. We get it. You weren't into heavy metal. It's okay. Fine. It's fine. Um, but I never really got too much into old music journalism. I was never one for buying all those old. I bought classic rock a little bit. And there were some great stories in there. I'm sure I've uh, retold or badly retold a few of them. But I did something recently I never really did before. And that was I got I waded out into the deep waters of um, the old music journalism, the biographies and stories from the 60s, the 70s and the 80s, and indeed some from the 90s. And it all really got me thinking, got me thinking this week. Um, and we've been talking about it, I've been talking about it a little bit with some of my friends, but the like of some of these names, um, Prince, David Bowie, Lou Reed, Iggy Pop, Freddie Mercury, uh, Keith Richards, Kurt Cobain, the list, it goes on and on and on and on. Will we ever see, will we ever see culturally the likes of any of those kind of people ever again? Will anybody ever appear with the same impact? Are there, are there any more rock stars or celebrities like this? Um, I would say probably not. Certainly, maybe I'm, um, you know, kind of past the, the, you know, the sort of I've crossed the Rubicon of the demographic of people who might know about upcoming young, you know, rock stars. But if somebody tries to tell me that Youngblood is the new Sid Vicious, I, nah, and I'll talk about Sid Vicious in a while um, and retell you some of the most ludicrous and outrageous moments of his short and very dumb life story. But there just doesn't seem to be any rebellion, any real rock stars left. We could say, um, have rock stars become comedians, sports stars? Is Elon Musk a modern equivalent to a rock star thumbing his nose at authority? But yet most people in uh, the culture around me seem to, um, you know, sort of dislike him for, you know, dog whistling the word free speech to people. I don't know. I can't get my head around it. Um, but is he the kind of equivalent of a modern rock star now? Um, it's very hard to say. I don't know. Politics is celebrity for the ugly, right? Um, but but I'm going to retell a few little uh, crazy details from some of the books that I've been reading. Um, specifically, Johnny Cash, Sid Vicious, um, Lou Reed, and a few other people like this. I've, I read quite a few things about people I've just had no interest in previously and found, okay, their stories are a lot more fascinating than I um, in my young, you know, um, bullish mindset, went, bah, I don't care about the Beach Boys, but I'll get to them shortly. But could the, but it got me thinking is, could these people even exist in today's, um, you know, sort of culture, sphere, whatever you want to call it? Could their antics, um, good and bad, um, even exist today? Where, let's be honest, everything is filmed all of the time, out in the open. I think it's almost impossible for famous people to live um, as they did in the 1970s, where bands literally just dropped on a town and then left for the next town and left, um, you know, screaming mothers in their wake and dealers chasing them for dollars. Um, and they didn't see them till the next time they were around on tour. Um, and, you know, rock stars could, could kind of step in and out of that whole kind of thing, as I said, for good or for bad. But now, as everybody lives their life like an open wound, I kind of feel that it's not possible to be that kind of person anymore. I suppose it's no wonder that we're all fascinated with things like secret societies and the Illuminati kind of um, concept of sort of organized behind those locked doors celebrity, like it's all a scene from an Alex Jones conspiracy, all these hooded masked people. It, all this kind of stuff has become so fascinating to us fascinating to us as a society, perhaps because everything is so open, but perhaps nothing is that different fundamentally within those societies, whatever they want to call them, than they were 20 or 30 years ago. But 
because mystery is so difficult to find now, we seek it in other places. But could their antics even exist today? As I said, where everything is filmed all the time. If you watch the movie Almost Famous, which I'm not sure will be made the same way now, and like a lot of movies, I feel wouldn't be made the same way now, but it appears to be quite near the truth. The sort of birth of the early 70s, um, they called themselves Band-Aids, I suppose. They were early groupies. Um, some of them went on to be quite famous. Baby, Belle, Booby, Belle. I don't know, quite know how to say the name. Um, I think she had a child with Steven Tyler, which was Liv Tyler, right? Um, I maybe got the names mixed up. But um, rock stars were almost above the law you know the every if you want to google a rather scary man it's peter grant um or duck duck go or bing or <laughs> whichever you choose to use peter grant was the manager of led zeppelin and he literally hauled them from town to town um and basically created a situation where they were almost above the law led zeppelin would touch down in their private jet and they got a police escort roaring them to the venue, hired entire hotel room floors, filled it with hangers-on, groupies, celebrities, dealers, partied, and then headed for the jet to the next city and left everyone else to clean up something like the mess. Um, nothing was, of course, ever filmed. Um, nothing like that could happen these days, as everyone would have a mobile phone. I only was watching something um, randomly with some vacuous celebrity who I've never heard of who was clearly putting on an accent going eh, well they told us to put down our phones we couldn't bring our phones into the party and I said well if I don't have my phone blah 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 whatever anyway yeah, I shouldn't do comedy or voices I know that I know that but they were basically saying that you know this was a sort of celebrity party but the people within it you just had to kind of hand in your phone in at the door and if you didn't you weren't getting access but I would say something similar must have been said at the time by a very, um, you know, this huge bullish character, Peter Grant. If you take any photos of any drug taking or any, um, you know, anything that's happening here, you will, you know, basically have your arms broken, I suppose, would have been Peter Grant's thing at the time. But um, nothing, of course, was ever filmed and nothing like that could happen these days. Of course, there's a rather dark side of it, which certainly the implications of the Me Too movement would have a field day over, um, you know, age of consent issues. Um, although, as an aside, it would seem that elements of modern culture seem to be wanting to remove that these days. But that's for a different podcast. Um, but it may sound like a fool's errand to compare now and then. But that's kind of what I'm doing because I'm a fool. Uh, but certainly the drugs, the groupies, none of this could happen in a world where everyone is broadcasting everything to everyone all of the time. But the feeling... I think that these 70s stars were outside the law, like Elton John, they were, you know, um, David Bowie. Um, so many of them were actually arrested, but then kind of released when, you know, money was paid or that kind of thing. Lemmy himself was arrested on the border of Canada, I think, uh, with amphetamine on him. But at least beyond, at least they were certainly beyond a sort of scrutiny or they were, a veil could be drawn behind them that left them in with some element of relative mystery. The rock press was at its its sort of zenith, the whole Rolling Stone and um, Cream magazine idea. There were rock star journalists um, who were following these uh, bands around, and one story could make or break a band, and that's kind of the case of this fabricated uh, band Clearwater that's in the almost famous movie. Um, but it's maybe how we look back. Maybe... Maybe we look back through rose-tinted spectacles. Um, I don't know. But their behavior certainly wouldn't be tolerated now. But I'm trying to 
consider, are there even rock stars like that? Are there even rebels like that? Um, in some cases, of course, you know, some of the actions were pretty dark. I think it's one of the reasons why people have said there's never going to be a Led Zeppelin biography or biopic that sort of spills any of the beans because some of the stories are um, somewhat incriminating. But in other cases, it clearly, to me, points to some kind of principle that we don't really have rebels anymore. I mean, I say that and then somebody uh, said to me, well, yeah, what about Kanye? And I thought, yeah. I don't know. I guess so. I don't really know anything about his music. Certainly, I think he should be able to be free to speak his mind, even though it seems maybe clear that somebody should be trying to help him protect his mind rather than um, doing the podcast circuit. But on the other side, lined up against him, um, we saw during uh, the end of the pandemic and lockdown, all that kind of stuff, there were pop stars and influence who were like um, collectively briefed by the White House on the correct stance to take on the Ukraine war, we see celebrities doing dances and songs, um, you know, shilling for big pharma, telling people to go out and get, you know, vaccinate their kids and that kind of thing. Once upon a time, though, people like Dylan, you know, Bob Dylan and many other rock stars, they opposed the war in Vietnam. They weren't um, TikToking dances in support of their military industrial complex, sending more arms and ammunitions um, into a, a proxy war. Um, yeah, it's complicated, but... It seems somebody like Kanye West is fundamentally a rebel on, on those terms, I suppose, in the, on those traditional terms. But it's just that our society now um, just doesn't allow someone like that to exist the same way. I mean, just off the top of my head, there's some crazy interviews. New York Dolls, I mean, what a, you know, an amazing early 70s band. I think the band that launched a thousand kind of ships, they appeared on... Um, I mean, not that I was uh, alive, actually, at the time or, you know, but they appeared on the old Grey Whistle test, which is a cool, um, you should go and have a look on YouTube. You can find some great performances on it. Robin Trower springs to mind. That's how I found Robin Trower. Um, but the New York Dolls kind of set the early 1970s ablaze with this famous glam rock performance on um, these uh, old Grey Whistle tests. And people like Marcy and Def Leppard and, you know, Boy George and all these kind of people saw that and it inspired the early kind of glam rock scene. And they were a genuinely rebel outsider band. Um, and lead Hellraiser guitarist um, Johnny Thunders, who you might know the name. I mean, he sort of openly admits in his book for, yeah, I was living with a 15 year old in my apartment in New York. Um, and you kind of think, all right, OK, that's that was just a normal thing to admit in an interview in 1990. And people just went, oh, well, yeah, sure, you're a rock star. I suppose that's what you do. Um like, he's the man who Nikki Six, Blackie Lawless, and based their look on, you know, the kind of spiky black hair and the cool leather jacket. I mean, what is life but the um, the eternal search for a cool leather jacket? But he stole of his look. OK, fair enough from Keith Richards, who I don't even know we have enough time to get into stories about Keith Richards. I mean, that was heroin with a darker element. Um, certainly, it didn't seem to be glamorous reading the autobiographies. But he, like I said, he openly admits in an interview to living with a 15-year-old groupie in New York on his press tour of Paris. And yet here was a man who really wanted to live the lifestyle of a debauched rock star on the edge of a knife, I think, which ultimately kind of killed him. Um, but there's an insane video, if you can try and find it on YouTube, of Johnny Thunder somewhere, I think on YouTube, of him and his band possibly in Paris, absolutely scagged out, openly taking heroin in the backstage, trying to play. He ends up having an argument and a fight with somebody in the crowd who's so incensed with the fact that he could barely even play rock and roll, heroin rebel to the end. 
Um, and yet, you know, of course, people still revere the New York Dolls. We don't. What I'm trying to get at is that I suppose rock stars are they're monoliths from the past. We sort of don't really judge them by the same criteria we seem to judge uh, people now. Um, you know, whether it's over something as innocuous as a tweet somebody doesn't like. But it's complicated. It's complex. And maybe there's a statue of moral limitations that stop people being able to relate to these things. Take the case of Sid Vicious. Uh, by all accounts, a complete moron. Um, a racist moron at that, if quotes are to be believed. His history is insane and short. Uh, you all know the famous picture of the swastika t-shirt, um, which you've kind of would have thought might kick up a bit more of a fuss in the punk world or the modern world, but seems to not really. Um, it's somehow seen as a student art anti-establishment statement. A kind of, meh, well, whatever, that was what punk rock was in 1977, pushing the envelope. But yet, if Kronos had done that in 1980 or Steve Harris in 1978, I reckon we wouldn't be hearing the end of that particular story. Before we get to Susie Sue, um, but yeah... Sid Vicious, I mean, you do know that Lemmy tried to teach him how to play the bass, right? But it seemed on the end of their ill-fated US tour, he went to prison for, I think, a month in Rikers Island um, at the end of their ill-fated US tour. He came out, celebrated with his mum, who was a well-known uh, prostitute uh, in London, um, and his mum scored his heroin for him and then stood by him um, as he sliced his arms up and tried to commit suicide in a hotel room. It was a sort of a pact between them. Um, he didn't die, was carted out, um, you know, in shreds and ribbons, survived, sent back on a plane to London, met a young woman called Nancy Spongen, a young American groupie who, by all accounts, was there looking for uh, someone else that uh, she was had been hooking up with in America. I can't remember who it was. But um, she hooked up with Sid Vicious and within a short while they were both dead and it appears that he killed her. I mean, wow. And it was immortalized in movies. And still you see people wear, you know, T-shirts with his image on it. Of course, um, I'm, you know, of course I've said it many times. I'm against cancel culture, all that kind of thing. Um, it's just an odd, strange double standard. And then you read more. Uh, Lou Reed used to dress as a Nazi walking around New York in the 70s. Bowie had a few little flirtations. Brian Ferry skulking around, and especially Lou Reed, um, whose autobiography reads pretty grim. He seems like a very obnoxious dude, but skulking around New York taking heroin. And it's a kind of a, ah, who cares? That was all part of the, the pantomime, the drama, the theatre in the 1970s. And maybe that's exactly what it was. And quite simply, now everybody's looking for so many things to just take far too seriously. Although one could say the death of Sid Vicious and Nancy Spungen, you know, is. It's kind of serious, really, isn't it? But I think that's one of those things that comes across in these biographies. And that is the, the wildness, the virgin territory of these early rock stars, the recklessness. And holy shit, the drugs. My God. Um... If you listen to my Nazis on Speed episode, you can get a clear look into where the pharmaceutical drug industry came from and how over-the-counter opioids, including heroin, were openly available. And, of course, where some of the modern pharmaceutical companies came from. And they all seem to have their origins in um, 19th century Germany, the industrial uh, pharmaceutical complex, we could call it Big Pharma. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. But there seems to have been, you know, Uppers and downers before cocaine arrived. Um, and speed, amphetamine. Um, Neil Young openly admits to just downing tons of amphetamine. Lou Reed, all of them seem to be taking tons of speed. And then what better way to take the edge off? But with a little drop of, or a little bit of powdered heroin or whatever else. Um, all of them, almost every biography I read was literally shot through with drug references. You could almost smell it off the pages from Jerry Lee Lewis popping amphetamines, not to mention taking up with underage women. But um, to Prince, of course, who, you know, he died of fentanyl, um, opioids as well. But it just literally pops off the pages and you realize what a um, what a symbiotic relationship drugs and all of that early music had. I mean, maybe that's why modern music sucks so much, because there isn't enough drugs in it. Well, there certainly isn't enough recklessness or danger but like i said how would that be possible with people living their lives out in the um you know online or living their lives like an open wound all the time how can you create mythology how can you create all those kind of things how can you create any mystery i think it's kind of impossible but brian wilson is where i started no i couldn't care less about the beach boys i really couldn't in fact i had an argument with a bunch of with a friend of my uncle's actually 
who stood by the mantra that Pet Sounds was the greatest album of all time. Now, I remember reading that in, in magazines in the 90s, and I just sort of said to him the same argument I have now, which is um, somebody who thinks Altars of Madness by Morbid Angel is, of course, infinitely better. But um, and my argument is the same, and I'll stand by it. How can an album about good times and going to the beach and surfing, really? That's the pinnacle of uh, 20th century <laughs> creativity, songs about surfing. Of course not. Of course, real art comes from struggle and adversity and darkness and anger and all every other thing you would say if you thought also madness was a greater album than pet sounds which it of course is but it has to be um it's like saying to me you know that a cartoon is better than hitchcock or something like this um but you know we argued it back and forth and like i said that was it songs about surfing the pinnacle of our creative achievement in popular music in the 20th century but then I read uh, like about a hundred page kind of very, very long story about the Beach Boys and I read it and I thought, damn, if this guy wasn't fucked up in his own way, living in his outhouse by the pool, just doing tons and tons of coke, taking acid, um, there was certainly darkness there. He just was obsessed with making the perfect pop song. And um, perhaps if he'd come along in the 90s, he would have made a different kind of music, I, I guess, I guess. Um, it's still... Didn't make me really want to go and listen to the music, but I did go and start investigating. And on YouTube, and true enough, you can find uncomfortable shows where Brian Wilson, dead-eyed, almost zombified, like he's been taking lithium or something, just stares out into nowhere on the stage, barely playing, barely singing, while the others in the band just do their thing. Um, and he's the guy who wrote all the music, and most of those guys didn't play on all those early records, despite not even playing on the albums. And how... Figures like Wilson just lose entire decades to drug-addled paranoia and the acid, um, acid casualties. I mean, anyone who's taken acid knows how illuminating it can be. Um, the last time I took acid, um, which is not so long ago, actually, um, there was a, you know, a few of us here. There was, I think, acid and a few, um, a few magic mushrooms. And when I stepped out into the hallway to go to the toilet, um, there were a few shards of light coming through my front door into the dark hallway. And they illuminated a scene from ancient Egypt and the pyramids. And I could see all of these small figures building the pyramids. Um, and I stood there in my hallway and I watched and I thought, ah, that's how they did it. And it was just all instantly clear to me. And then I went to the toilet and then came back into the other room and, um, you know, goofed off looking at something else I, I would recommend it to anybody um, as a form of um, you know you need a little bit of illumination from uh, the other side of your consciousness but in that moment I thought ah okay and I told this to a friend of mine who I think is maybe too too scared to try hallucinogenics and he was just like jaw gape like what and I went well yeah just became clear to me in that moment oh yeah that's how they did it same time same thing when you take um Sometimes when you take DMT, I remember being shot out into space um, around the rings of Saturn and I could see DNA strands and it all just, whatever it was, it became clear and you come back uh, quite rested. Anyway, what am I talking about? But the point is that can you, in the 1960s, can you imagine how powerful that stuff was? Um, and people didn't quite realize how it would short circuit or could short circuit your brain. And you can't really do this every day. Um, my good friend Steve Hughes comedian um 
has a great joke. I'm not going to try and tell it, but just about how there was always one or two people you knew growing up um, who just didn't realize that you just couldn't do all of the things every day that you had to give your brain a rest. But like I said, you can't do this every day. But some people were. Some people absolutely were. Uh, reading again another biography, Sid Barrett. Um, I'm not a big fan of early Pink Floyd. I think it's way better when he's gone, to be honest with you. But there he was their creative talisman for the first um, album or two. And it just completely fried his brain. Look at Peter Green from Fleetwood Mac. If you don't know early Fleetwood Mac, oh, um, before the whole rumours era, that's uh, just one of the, the best things that you can find. The first two uh, Fleetwood Mac albums, Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac, and he seemed to be another uh, acid casualty, dropped out of society, just fried their brain, short-circuited their brain. Um, Rocky Erickson, who became a kind of cult figure in the black metal scene, um, it's Cold Night for Alligators and all that kind of thing. Um, again, brilliant, brilliant stuff. Uh, really, really strange sort of esoteric guitar rock music. Used to be in the 13th Floor Elevators with Billy Gibbons, if I'm not incorrect. But he became kind of cult in the black metal scene. I remember sitting around with um, Watain guys, I don't know, it must be 20 years ago, everybody raving about Rocky Erickson. I think somebody even had a Rocky Erickson tattoo on their foot. Anyway, whatever. Um, and rightfully so. But it seemed to fry his circuits completely and he spent some time in a mental institution. How Lemmy for example, survived. All of this is even more of a mystery once you read more and more music biographies. And there was a, for a few months there, they're all I could take in. Ah, oh, give me another music biography. I need more stuff. I've got one from Muddy Waters on the, on the table in front of me because when I was a kid, before I got into that heavy metal, I'm very thankful for my dad playing lots of stuff like Howlin' Wolf and Muddy Waters. Now these guys, these were real rebel guys as well. Little Richard, Wow, now there's a man who is worth a podcast on his own. Real, actual, rebellious guys. Um, but when you consider, um, when you start to get into these kind of things, you, you're kind of on a, you just go down a black hole of endless biographies and you consider the casualty list, just off the top of my head, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison, all insane stories in their own right, which kind of link are linked to too much opioids. And I think in Janice's case, um, one of the greatest rock voices has to be said, Janis Joplin. Um, I think in her case it was booze as well, wasn't it? But where did all the stories go? Is there anybody making stories now? And if you listen to my podcast from Tuesday, um, the world is obsessed with Sam Smith, who I only just figured out who he was uh, a few weeks ago. The most controversial thing seems to be he put on some weight and then said he was uh, non-binary. Okay. Compare this to the antics, uh, it goes, well, not the antics, but the stories, the backstories of people from the 70s or things they were doing then. I mean, it seems positively child's play, but that's because I suppose it is. Um, you know, you take David Bowie or Iggy Pop, who pops up all the time, um, and there's an insane story of him being so fucked up and so out of his mind that his band tied him up in a bag and just basically kicked the shit out of him and then left him in an alleyway, in a dumpster in an alleyway after a show. They were so disgusted with it. And he came round um, in a bag and sort of had to, well, you know, figure out what he was doing. Um, naked and alone in New York uh, and some grim, dark morning. But the dark brooding genius, I was reading about Miles Davis, who seems like a very bad, bad motherfucker. Um, I have to admit... Um, on a side note, I can't get my head around Bitches Brew. I sat in the front of a van on tour with um, the very awesome Uno, uh, from, who used to be in In Solitude, 
who has many great Uno Brunason, who has many who said the greatest one of the greatest things ever to me actually he said to me how much sense do you have to make to make sense and I thought yeah I will I will live with me till the day that I die we were on the session and he said that to me and me and Bones from Dread Sovereign looked at each other and went wow okay you just won you just won um, anyway we were sitting in the front of the van and we listened to that we listened to television I think it is Marky Moon is it anyway or I read about um, this is just me talking about things that I've been reading Sly and the Family Stone I mean holy shit this guy he employed literal gangsters in his entourage to deal and collect and fuck up anyone who crossed him guns addicted to medical cocaine he even tried to kill his bassist it seems hired a hitman from a mafia family I kid you not maybe the only thing that's near to any of this is, um, I suppose, 90s rap, whether it's uh, Tupac or all that kind of thing. Dr. Dre, I'm not a big, I wouldn't profess to know a hell of a lot about rap. Um, but that was maybe the last time when, um, you know, th- there were sort of echoes of some of the similar kind of danger. I suppose black metal had it with the church burnings and murders um, that happened around black metal. But it seems that in a modern day, a sort of uh, an age, an infantilistic age, this kind of thing is impossible. Um, but I kid you not, Sly Stone um, seems to have hired a mafia hitman to kill uh, his bassist. Um, well, that doesn't seem like such a bad idea, actually. Anyway, but comparing um, anyone nowadays to those kind of people seems like a fool's errand. But, you know, I'm a fool. So um, maybe some of you have been following Shane McGowan on Instagram. It's pretty grim. But his story also driven through or riven through, is that how you said, with drugs and booze. It made me think maybe it is better to clock out early and leave a beautiful corpse. I don't know. I don't know. Is that just romantic nostalgia? But I think part of what it is, is the infantilism or childishness of modern popular music or modern society. That has something to do with it. Um, That everything is just sort of aimed at children. And I mean, it's hardly surprising on some level, musically, when clicks and plays are driven often by kids, um, that the music aimed at them is so childish. I mean, Amy Winehouse, Amy Winehouse, Billie Eilish is certainly not. Tina Turner, Cardi B is certainly is not. I'm sorry for keeping on naming names of popular music culture people. But look, you had a Morbid Angel reference earlier and it goes on and on and on. Or maybe part of it is me in that I want my artists tortured and dark and fucked up. Um, I mean, boredom comes from the boring mind, right? It's no wonder that so many things are so boring if you have no edge or no angle. And it's, it's what I told my friend Dennis the other day. Um, hello, Dennis, by the way. Um, that's it. I do shout outs now. That's part of my new podcast thing. Um, but we were talking about it. And we said we want our death metal smashing its way through the boundaries of hell. Whiskey drinking, line taking, straight talking, fighting, carousing, rock and roll, proper rock and roll. Death metal to me is Triazathoth carving an inverted cross in his arm with a razor blade, bleeding all over his guitar in the middle of Chapel of Ghouls. Not guys who look like baristas doing guitar playthroughs before going back to uh, streaming their gaming or whatever. Look, what can I say? That's <laughs> the part of me is drawn to these dark stories and kind of wants our artists to be tortured. Um, you know, you want your playwright to be Brendan being, you know, a kind of um, a sort of dark, semi-tragic pisshead who um, has political aspirations and fails and achieves other things, but writes brilliantly. You want Hunter S. Thompson 
um, I don't know, whatever it is, I suppose there's an element of nostalgia to it, but you want people to be real and sort of plugged into that um, dark undercurrent, as I said. A part of me is drawn to these dark stories. And certainly, um, in microcosm, I've lived out some share of them in my time um, with Primordial and touring and traveling and being around the world. Take a song like Last Call from the last uh, album by Primordial. It's kind of exactly about this, but you can't write that song without experience if you haven't lived some of it. You can't can't kind of create, how we say, you can't write rock and roll by proxy. You have to have lived a little bit of rock and roll. So being the outsider, the outcast, being on some level rebellious, and now I realize the world we live in, this becomes harder and harder. And part of it is my own nostalgia and being an outlaw in, as I've said, this increasingly outwar- outraged world, obsessed with trying to stamp out what it seems as anti-social behavior. That what I would say is just um, opinions, you know, running contrary to the mainstream narrative. But, you know, it's a kind of emasculated world that wants conformity by any means. And the world of the classic rock stars, I think it's definitely a bygone thing. And some people would say good riddance and, you know, if that's your prerogative, that's fine. But these dark backstories full of regret and struggle that go into creating true art. Um, maybe that's why things have to have a certain kind of personality that seems real. I mean, Eminem, it ain't my thing, but I read quite a bit about him. Uh, which I never knew. Um, I wouldn't have been on my radar. But he had anger and spite. Pulled a gun or two in his day. Had a pretty grim backstory. Born to a 17-year-old woman uh, in a trailer park, by all accounts. Is Drake the modern equivalent of him? I mean, take Ed Sheeran. I mean, what is this? Do we even compare this to people in the past like Bob Dylan? Um, it's also milk toast. I mean, of course not. We can't. People forget that back in the day, Dylan was huge in popular culture. Is there anyone as divisive? Could Guns N' Roses even be allowed now? A rock band that tapped into young male anger, filled with expletives, extremity and violence. Toxic masculinity, if ever there was an apt example. Yet now we get the unthreatening wee little elves of Greta Van Fleet. Where is the danger? There just doesn't seem to be any. No secret. I love Morrissey. Um, And yet he's about as wicked as it gets in 2023 in his mid-60s for making relatively conservative political statements that, um, you know, 20 or 30 or 40 years ago, nobody really would have batted an eyelid uh, about. But if you were to place them against comments made by some musicians in the 60s, 70s and the 80s, they would seem ridiculously tame. Some of the quotes of some of the people uh, in the in the, some of the things I've been reading are insane, but there would be people who would happily silence him for that. No one speaks their mind ever. Can they really? Johnny Rotten entered the Eurovision Song Contest. Yeah, let that one sink in. Roger Waters, who keeps getting a mention in the podcast. Roger Waters is still out there trying to kick a, kick the hornet's nest. Um, it's still trying to I don't know stick it to some kind of man somewhere. But he's seventy nine, right? Bill Hicks, Bill Hicks, I want my rock stars dead. Well, maybe all the rock stars are, or will be soon. Um, Maybe, like I said before, maybe the equivalent now is comedians or sports stars. Or maybe it's simply impossible to be mad, bad and dangerous these days. Maybe Elon is our last rock star. What a horrific thought that is. Or else it's just wistful nostalgia and daft romance on my behalf. Um of a time when, by and large, I wasn't exactly around. 
Um, yet I've no doubt it wasn't very romantic finding Janis Joplin that morning if you were the, um, you know, the res first responders on scene. Um, and look again, I was only talking about it with my sister um, yesterday uh, as this was her music and not my music. Um, and part of what I was reading was about Kurt Cobain. I read the Nirvana biography um, years and years ago and was more interested in the fact that they drove around in their pickup truck li listening to Voivod and Celtic Frost than really much else. But something of a spiritual figurehead in that scene and look what heroin did, how many casualties there were from Seattle, 1991 era, Lane Staley from Alice in Chains. Um, who I, again, a band I'm not really into, but I watched some documentaries about the last couple of years of his life. Wow, that was fucking dark. Really fucking dark. Lay, um, what's his name from Soundgarden? Chris Cornell, of course, Chris Cornell. And uh, what's the guy's name from Stone Temple Pilots? Ah, look, you know, you might know. Um, also came across the story about the bassist from Hole who died of heroin. Kristen Pfaff. And this is a quite... Um, intriguing story as well, who um, seemed to have gone clean and then gone back to prepare for a tour with Hole and died of heroin. Um, and maybe it's just because at this current moment, these are the stories that I'm digging for in a way to try and avoid um, listening to nonsense about politics. But it seems that somewhere in the last 10 years, the rock star stories just disappeared. Social media took over. And I said it before in the podcast, and I think this is kind of true, in that social media has taught a generation that music is the backdrop to our lives, but not the soundtrack. We are the stars now. You are the star now. You are the rock star. You create your own stories. You um, curate your own version of yourself with the world. And music is the thing that's in the background to montages of whatever is happening in life. It's not the soundtrack anymore. And maybe that's the difference. And so I'm looking back in a kind of romantic, nostalgic way. But... Certainly, it seems that um, the era of the rock star, of the rebel, is gone. But I'll finish today's podcast with a little bit of a few things. One that really, really stuck out to me. And this is about Johnny Cash, which is kind of insane. I took my first amphetamine, a little white benzedrine tablet scored with a cross in 1957. And I loved it. So much so that within less than a year, he was taking such vast quantities that... As soon as I woke up, I started feeling little things in my skin, briars or wood splinters, itching so badly that I had to keep trying to pluck them out. They started to be alive. This is like 1957 or something, but um, Cash was incarcerated at this time for brief stretches on seven different occasions. In Nevada, the police found him stark naked and passed out of the wheel of his car. In Mississippi, he was put in jail after being found in a state of total delirium picking daisies on a stranger's front lawn at two in the morning. He was arrested for burning down a huge forest range in 1965, busted at the El Paso airport for being in possession of a thousand dexedrine pills, um, drove two separate cars off the high cliff at his Tennessee home and crashed them both into the sea. And one night at the Grand Ole Opry during the mid-60s, his speed psychosis became so acute he felt he was hearing voices and cursing at him during a live performance grabbed the mic, smashed 60 footlights and stormed off the stage. He was never invited back to the Grand Old Opry. And the stories go on and on. 1967, he drove to the desert with enough amphetamine pills to, uh, you know, kill an elephant. Um, hid out in a cave for a while, said he saw and found Jesus and came back out and 
mended his ways. Well, kind of. And in an odd change of fortune, the 1980s, when he was kind of lost, it wasn't until the end of the 80s where he began to be sort of revered. The whole man in black mythology came back around again and he was revered by an entirely new generation of musicians. And it was no real surprise that those famous people, whether it was the River Phoenixes of this world, um, who... Um, whose own life was cut short young as well, but it was the whole Seattle sort of generation of people who refound the darkness at the heart of Johnny Cash. But the like of which, I don't think we will ever see again. I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. Pure nihilism, and I love it, my friends. It's Agitators Anonymous. It's the end of episode whatever it is. And we shall see you next Tuesday for heavy metal miscellany, more nonsense and rubbish and whatever else. Have yourselves a good weekend. And if you like the show, give it a little like and give it a little share. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Acast and befaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skide af alle de der podcasts og forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel.